How are you this evening? Good. Well, good, good. It's nice to have Terence back with us. He's just cracking him about his, his fishing trip. But I'll leave that with you and Pastor Lee. Story it. <laughs> Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are again grateful but humbled by the privilege and opportunity to share your word. We thank you, Father God, that your Holy Spirit is here with us and in us. Pray now that he would speak through us. May you be glorified, may you be honored, and may your purpose be realized and fulfilled as your word goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, this evening, I want to take this opportunity to share a bit of a story about myself. Um, and is in line with the text of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. The text says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This text is a bit of my story, my my life. I, I can see myself a bit in the, in the passage. I am a, a apostle, or a, a, a um, how should I say, a, uh, <laughs> I am the, um, a part of me is a, a, the consequence of Pastor Alan Lee. <laughs> That's what I want to say. No apostle. Apostle, not an apostle, not apostle. Not, not <laughs> I'm a junior apostle to the chief. But, um, most people know me from Telios, um, during the time when Chris Berner was dean at Telios. And um, I was there along with um, uh, quite a few individuals who may be here now. And um, at that time was when I got a lot of my teaching or training under Pastor Lee and uh, Brother Chris Berner. Um, most of you probably know me as well through my wife, Anita. Um, she is the leader of Sunbeams. And um, I have four children, um, those of you who know them, Jonathan, Catherine, most of you know Catherine, Abigail, and, John and David. I am 46 years old. Um, please don't let my youth fool you. I am 46 years old. And I have been married now for 13 years. Pastor Lee was actually the man who married me. He was also the man who counseled me. He was also the man who prayed for three of my four children. And um, I think he's, been, he's played a very integral part in most of my life. Sometimes I crack people and tell them I am a, I am a Leite, uh, a follower of, of, of the Lee, <laughs> but no apostle. But um, I thank the Lord for the, the privilege and opportunity of um, having the opportunity to be under Pastor Lee. I, I consider him to be a mentor. Um, I consider him to be like a father uh, to me. Um, I have um, gotten quite a bit of counsel and advice from him. Um, thanks to him, I will say that I have married my wife. And I said, we got married in after, but nine months, 
nine months. Um, I had to wait because Pastor Lee, as you know, doesn't um, let you get married until you counsel with him for six months. So I had to wait for nine months. And so after nine months, my wife and I got married. And um, we started from there. But this text, I believe, there are two of the four. This text, I believe, was a text that challenged me in my walk and my relationship with God. The text is 2 Timothy chapter 2, when it was written by the Apostle Paul to his son, Timothy, his son of the faith. The letter was written as a very personal letter to encourage Timothy in his ministry at Ephesus. Now, it seems that Paul wrote this letter from prison, and it was his final letter as he awaited his death. He took the opportunity to encourage, challenge, and give Timothy instruction, as well as later on ask for some personal items. I look at the letter as the letter of a dying father and mentor writing his last words to his son, encouraging him in the faith and encouraging him in ministry. I want you to listen a bit to Paul's heart in 2 Timothy 1, and, um, 1 through 7. It says, he says in 2 Timothy 4, sorry, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Verse 3. For the time, a time is coming when your people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul had an idea that this was going to be his last time in writing to Timothy, and he wanted to give him some words of encouragement. He also told him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, he said, I am writing to you, Timothy, verse 2, my dear son, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that was first filled, first filled your mother, your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. He wanted to encourage 
this young man. And I look at this text as a way that God had, has encouraged and challenged me in my own spiritual walk. I love this book, especially the text we're going to be looking at this evening. I look at handling God's word as a privilege, but also as a sacred trust and something that I will be held responsible for. I'm reminded in James 3 and 1, Brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. And I remember Pastor D also reminding of us, of us of that as well. It is not just a privilege, but it's a solemn trust to be able to handle the Word of God. And as he said this morning, not just to handle it, but we need to make sure that we are rightly handling God's Word. And as a servant of the Lord, as we all are, even though we may all not be teachers per se, we are all responsible to know how to rightly handle the word of truth. I know in the past I wish someone had encouraged me. I found Pastor Lee later on in my life, but when I first got saved, it was just me alone. There was no one to mentor, to, to counsel, to encourage. And so I found myself living out 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. The text says, Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. When I first started off as a believer, that was my challenge. Youthful lusts. There was no one who emphasized to me the importance of dealing with these things in my life. So in my early years, this is where I had my struggle. Now, I'm older, married with four children, but I will tell you this much. The struggles still continue. Paul told Timothy to flee useful lusts, the things that occur to those particularly in their youth. But these things don't just occur to with young people. There are also we as adults who have similar challenges. But we're also encouraged, the same as young people, to flee youthful lust. Now, this verse has two commands. It says to flee youthful lust, but also tells us to pursue righteousness. The word flee and pursue, as is stated, is in the, what is termed the present imperative active. This is indicating command to do something in the future which includes or involves continuous or repeated action. So we're not just to flee youthful lust once. This is a continual, ongoing practice that should be in the life of the believer. We should be fleeing youthful lust all the time. We should not be comfortable in sitting down and indulging in things just because we feel we're adults or we're mature that we're no longer susceptible to the temptations of youthful lust. We are to flee them but not just to flee youthful lust, but we're also to pursue, to go after certain things. We're to pursue righteousness. We're to run away from lust, but we're to pursue, to run after righteousness. And the word is not just to, to, to follow, but it gives the impression of making haste with intensity, to go after it with effort. We shouldn't be casual in our approach of going after righteousness, going after things like faith and love and peace. These things we should go after, we should pursue. We should go after righteousness, meeting the demands of God's law, doing what God requires, doing what is right, 
Doing the right thing should always be something we should be pursuing after. It should not be something that is casual, should be laid back. We should be active and aggressive in our pursuits. Active and aggressive in our pursuits of love, goodwill, showing kindness to one another. Active in our pursuits in showing being faithful, being sincere, free from deceit and hypocrisy. I sometimes interact with Christians on my job, and I always find it interesting how sometimes we find it so easy to be deceitful. And we do it in a manner that we don't feel is wrong. I, I, I remember, I may have said this last time I spoke with an individual said, you know, I said, when you come through customs, the person says, I'm hoping that I have a, someone I know in customs, so when I come through, I don't have to pay. We, 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 we find it so simple. We find it so easy as a believer to do things that we consider to be okay. But the Bible says we're supposed to be people of righteousness, people who are faithful, people who have displayed charity, who show peace, who have the right relationship with God and the right relationship with man. Harmony and tranquility should be what should be in the life of the believer. This is what we should pursue. These are the things we should be going after as believers. When I was young, that was not me. I went after the things that pleased me as a young person. And as a young person, I, 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 I sometimes say, say, Lord, it's amazing. What, what could I have been? Where could I have gone? What could I have done for God? Where would I have been in my spiritual growth and development? If when I first became a Christian, I pursued these things fervently, earnestly, with passion. Imagine what God could have done. But I thank God for where I am. I thank God for what I have. Because our God is merciful. Amen? Our God is gracious. Our God is a God of second chances. But we're not told, also not told what to pursue and what to flee. We're also told who to do it with. It says, pursue it with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good manners. You need to be careful of the company you keep. You need to be careful if you're going to pursue after righteousness, you need to ensure that there are people who, who, you, who you associate with who are of like mind, who are similar to you. And there are Christians who are not of like mind. There are Christians, persons who propose and carry themselves to be Christians, but who are not like that, who will not encourage you to continue to, to pursue the faith, who will not encourage you to be a good example, who will not encourage you to follow after charity. So you must make sure you associate with individuals who have that in common, persons who will encourage you, persons who will promote this in your life. You need to be careful of the company you keep. And like I said, I had to learn this the hard way. I asked my wife last night, I said, this afternoon, I said, it's amazing, I remember a passage in Job 2.25, it says, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. I say, Lord, can I get that time back? 
in some way be able to redeem, to get back, to work hard, to take advantage of the time that I have. But amazing enough, sometimes we choose to sin. This says that we are supposed to pursue righteousness, but sometimes we as Christians, we choose not to pursue it. I like to use the Christian life and look at it like this. I use this example sometimes. The Christian life is like walking a tightrope. Truth, integrity, faithfulness, honesty, charity. And our job is by God's grace and by the help of the Holy Spirit to stay on that rope. But sometimes we fall. We do. And God has given us 1 John 1.9 as a net to catch us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if I do fall off, I have the net of 1 John 1.9 to catch me. I said, but the sad thing is, some of us don't look at 1 John 1.9 as a net. We look at it as a trampoline. We, we jump off of the rope of the Christian life and we jump into the trampoline of sin and we just revel in God's grace as if to say, you know what? Since it's there, I might as well take advantage of it. Since I know the net is there, I won't make that effort. I won't pursue righteousness. I will, in some cases, jump off. And some of us, when we jump off and we land in that net, we say, you know what, let me stay here a while. I might as well stay in sin a while, while I'm here. But that is not what God calls us to be. And that is not what God calls us to do. Pursue. Go hard after righteousness, after charity, after faith, after peace. The Bible says we should consider ourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. It tells us don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Because sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. That is who we are. That is what we are. We're free. We have the power to live lives free of sin. Let us pursue it. Let us pursue it. Since you are free, let's walk in that freedom. Be a truth walker. And since you are free, don't get involved in the stupid arguments. Once again, this was me. I remember when I used to be in college, this was one of my um, favorite things, getting into a good argument with my fellow brethren in the student Christian movement. We had some Church of God of Prophecy, had some Jehovah Witness, had some Baptists. We had a good little mixture. And me coming from the brethren background, right, Pastor Lee? We, we, we had certain beliefs. And so, you know, sometimes I would um, start a little discussion. One of my favorites, sad to say, was eternal security, which was always an, an interesting one with my Baptist and Church of God people. But I, it took this text to challenge me. It says, 
that we, as God's people, are to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate a gender strife. Foolish. The original Greek word that we get is where we get our word moron from. Silly, stupid, worthless arguments, worthless disputes, ignorant and unlearned discussions. And that's what's me. Getting involved in an argument that was foolish. And the thing is, it had no purpose. All it did was cause a division between me and those in the group. Now, Timothy was told early in verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, but it ruins the hearers. Nothing's worse than a Christian getting into a discussion that has no purpose. I mean, we know we do it from time to time. We do. We get into a discussion just to prove a point. We've learned something new. Maybe you had a good little Bible study with Pastor Lee, learned some information. And when we get to work or we get on a job, we get in a situation, we like to bring out our sword and play around a bit. This is not to be the servant of the Lord. As a servant of the Lord, we don't get involved in foolish and ignorant and unlearned discussions. All they do is ruin the hearers and lead to destruction and catastrophe. The Lord had to correct me. He said, you know what? The servant of the Lord must not quarrel. I shouldn't be getting into arguments in verse 24. I shouldn't be getting into arguments if I am a servant of the God. I should be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel. I must not get into foolish arguments. They serve no purpose. All they lead to is a fight, an argument, a dispute, division. But I must be gentle to all. This word gentle is only used two times in the New Testament. The other time it's used is in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, where Paul says, but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And that's how we are to be when it comes to handling God's word and dealing with the people of God. You've got to be gentle. Like a, a mother deals with her children. You have to be caring. We, sometimes we're harsh. We have to understand that, you know, we have been blessed if we are in a position to understand. God has given us that privilege. But others have not come to that place. And we have to allow God in his time to do his work. We may be used as instruments but we must do it in a gentle manner, allowing God to do his work in the life of a person. It also says that not only to be gentle to all, we must be able to teach, able to instruct, skillful in the position of teacher. This word also only occurs two times in the, in the New Testament. It occurs in 1 Timothy 3, 2 as well. That says a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. But in order to be a good teacher, we need to be good students. We have to be good students, according to 2 Timothy 2.15. We must be diligent to present ourselves approved unto God, workmen who do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, skillfully and correctly handling the word of truth. God's word 
is to be handled properly, is not to be used as a weapon to bludgeon an individual. It is to be handled skillfully because it's, it's like a scalpel being handled by a surgeon. The purpose is not to hurt, but the purpose is to bring healing. You may cut, but the purpose is not to cause the individual pain or suffering, but to bring healing to the individual. And we as God's men, as God's teachers, all of us, must learn how to handle God's word skillfully. Study to show ourselves approved. Be diligent with God's word. And we must be patient. Patient. Taking the time with individuals. Putting up with the evil treatment. This, this word is an interesting word. It says we got to be patient and put up with it. Put up with the difficulty. Put up with the argument. Put up with people who are being controversial with you. Sometimes, I know, I know what happens to all of us. I mean, Pastor Lee, of course, is an exception. But sometimes, you know, people rub you the wrong way. They do. But you've got to learn to be patient. Now, Pastor Lee has a, a corner on that market. But we have to bear in mind that that is who we are as servants of God. We have to be patient. We have to be humble in correcting those who oppose. And it's opposite to pride. You see, brothers, we are only here. We are only in the position we are in, but because of the grace and the mercy of God. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into temptation yourself. My mother always used to tell me, but for the grace of God, there go I. We look at individuals and we like to be proud and arrogant because of who I am because of the knowledge I have, because of the experience and exposure I have, because of, of what I have got. Look at him. But you are who you are. You are where you are only because of God's grace, because of God's mercy. So we have to be careful not to go around with an attitude of pride. Now we ask ourselves the question, why is then the servant of the Lord to be patient, not to quarrel, but to be gentle, to be kind? Why am I like this? Why is God asking me to conduct myself as his servant in this way? The Bible says I'm dealing with individuals who have been caught by Satan. Let's look at the text. It says that God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. God would grant them a change of mind to know the truth, to know the reality. God uses us to play our part in helping him give that ability, that person, to be to change, to have a change of mind. But it's God that does it. Always understand it's not us. You are only a tool. God can choose to use you. But always remember, it is not you who are doing the work. It is God. Paul always reminds that somebody may plant, somebody may water, but always remember, it is God. 
that brings forth the increase. Sometimes we believe it's us. Sometimes we preach so hard and we preach so powerfully. We say, listen, people got to get saved. People got to change. No, as a servant of God, your job is to preach. Be an individual who shares God's word and allow God to use his word to do his work in his time and in his way. That God would grant them repentance to the truth. The second result is that they would come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. This word, is, is this, this, this um, concept is come to their senses is the active concept of not being drunk with lies. These people were drunk with lies. They were, be, they were, they were literally intoxicated with error. And our job as God's servants is to preach the word of God, and hopefully God will grant them repentance that they may come to their senses. They will no longer be drunk with the lies of the world. Pastor Lee mentioned it this morning as well. There are individuals out there who are literally, they've been caught in the lies of the enemy. And they're drunk with it. I mean, you listen to the preaching. Health, wealth, prosperity. I mean, just, just come to God. I don't want to pick on our friend Joel Olseal again, but I mean, your best life now. This is what it's all about. It's about what God has in store for you. Get it now. And it's not about the challenges that you may face as a believer. It's not about what you're going to have to go through in that process. But it's all about the end result. Just getting what you can get now. And we have to be very careful. Persons have been caught in this. And as we as the Lord's servant interact with them, we don't have to get in an argument with them. Don't start a war. Don't get in a fight. Yes, they've been trapped. But we have to say, you know what? They've been captured by the enemy. They are intoxicated. So we have to share the word of God and hopefully God will allow them to come to the knowledge of the truth. They will also escape the trap of the devil. They've been caught in the devil's trap of lies. Second Timothy 2.26 Come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him at his, at his will, to awake out of a drunken sleep or stupor. It says this word may refer to a practice in which sowers scattered seeds impregnated with drugs intended to put the birds to sleep, that a net might be drawn to capture them. That was a practice. You spread some seeds around for the birds, but you inject the seed with drugs. And the intention is to use a net to capture the birds after they can't fly away anymore. It's like the enemy is feeding us intoxicating seeds of, of error, of lies. And his intention is to trap us with that error so that we cannot be, will not be all that God has called us to be. Caught in the enemy's snare. Caught in his lies, never being able to realize our true potential as God's children. The individuals were intoxicated with error, but now God has granted them repentance, sobriety. They're sober. They're sober to the acknowledging of the truth. And with the knowledge of the truth, they can see and understand clearly so they're able to escape the trap of the devil, the error and the lies of the enemy. The trap is the lies that took us captive. And with it, he is able to get persons to do his will. 
and they're doing it, you know. Persons are getting up there, like pastors, I mean, individuals are getting up there. And I always, I always find it interesting when the fellow talks about all the blessings he has from God. And the very next statement is, I need you to sow a seed into my ministry. The blessings he has from God are the blessings he's gotten from you, from all the people who have paid into his ministry. And I want to say, listen, why don't you learn? I won't pay into your ministry anymore. Let's see what God will do for you without me seeding your ministry. Constantly just paying out, paying out, paying out. But if you don't give to me, if you don't plant that seed, then you're not going to get a blessing. And the fun one is when the guy comes and tells you, Brother Anton, I need you to plant a seed of a hundred. I believe the Lord is telling me that you should plant a seed of a hundred dollars in my ministry. Or a thousand dollars because the God is going to bless you tenfold, Brother Randy. And I know you have a need. So please, plant a seed if you have a need. Amen? I mean, come on, man. And people get to be taken in. And it sounds so good, man. It does, you have to admit, it sounds good. The fellow has the right lingo. He wears the right clothes. He has the right approach. I mean, guess what? The flashing lights on the, in the background, all the pyrotechnics. And you're like, wow. Yes, man, it's got to be. Drunk. Drunk. And you walk up there, drunk with your wallet, and you put it right there. The court. But guess what? This does not have to be. We can stay free. We can be free. God's word says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth make you free. Why are we caught? A lack of truth. For whatever reason, and there are always many reasons and excuses, we will not spend the time in God's word to access the truth. That's why I've taken Pastor Lee's Bible study methods class now about five times. Five <laughs> Took it once when I did a course with them. Took it two other times after that. Took, it, took the Bible study methods to teach. I think I've been done Bible study methods more than most people. But I love it. I believe one of the most important things is for every believer to be able to exercise 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth especially for yourself. Because Pastor himself will tell you, don't mind what happened in the pulpit, you know. You need to be able to be able to discern that what is coming from there is truth and not error. And know how to handle the word of God and compare what is being said from the pulpit with what is in God's word to ensure that the man of God is speaking truth. That is your responsibility as a believer. Not to sit there and swallow it and just say, you know what, because it's him, it must be so. You and I have a responsibility. It says, Satan is trying to trap us, but we must be diligent to present yourself approved, tested by trial, 
God tries us. He tests us and he finds us to be approved. It's, it's, it's like a worker who needs not to be ashamed. He has rightly divided the word of truth. He has correctly and skillfully handled God's word. It's like a mason taking a piece of stone and taking his time to cut it just right so it could fit right into the exact slot that that stone was meant for. And that takes time, that takes effort, that takes precision, that takes energy, that takes the time to know how to handle the tools that it takes to properly deal with it. So you need to spend time, not just in God's word, but get an appreciation of the tools necessary to handle God's word effectively. It's like a farmer being able to know, how do I plant a straight row? That takes effort. He doesn't just go out there and look around. He has to pay attention, diligently focus, take that time. Sad reality is that most of us don't want to take the time, don't want to put in the effort, don't want to do what it takes, don't want to spend the money to get the resources, have other things to pay on. And as long as we don't consider time in God's word to be of critical importance, vital to the life of the believer, we will continually be challenged, caught, and entrapped by the enemy. I don't want to be ashamed. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26 is my life verse. And the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, fighting, and contending. Instead, he must be kindly to everyone and mild-tempered, preserving the bond of peace. He must be skilled and a suitable teacher, patient and forbearing and willing to suffer wrong. He must correct his opponents with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant, that God may grant, and that they will repent and come to know the truth. That's my prayer. That's my heart's desire. That's where I've moved from, I believe, from a troublesome, argumentative young man who got into God's word for the sake of arguing, who was challenged by God to get into it for the purpose of sharing it in such a way that those who have been trapped by the enemy, if I share, if I speak a word of truth, God pray adventure, but grant them repentance under the acknowledging of the truth. And they can be freed from the snare of the devil to live lives to the honor and to the glory of God. My prayer is that we would all have that desire. We would all study to show ourselves approved, be good workmen, and allow God to use us to free others who have been captured by the enemy. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we thank you. May you be glorified. May you be exalted, Father God, as your word has gone forth. I pray, Father God, as it has been shared, that your purpose has been realized and that you have been glorified. I pray that as we leave this place, we would not just be heroes of your word, persons who have looked at the word as a person looks at his reflection in the mirror and walk away and forget what we have seen. We would take your word, had in our hearts, meditate on it, Father God, and then put it into practice we would see the change in our lives to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.